Welcome to Inside India by UTI International. I'm your host, Ben Haywood. Join me as I embark on an exciting journey through the new and modern India. From the Dabawalas to the Tatas and the Ambanis, let's see what the future may hold for the world's largest democracy. In this series, we feature conversations with business and economic leaders who have lived and breathed the story of India as they tell us their version of what makes this such a compelling and exciting growth opportunity in the 21st century. Stay tuned. One business idea can transform your lifestyle and bring out the entrepreneur in you. But if you were born into a middle-class Indian family, you will need much more than just an idea to become an entrepreneur. In today's podcast, I will bring you the story of one of India's internet pioneers, Sanjeev Bikchandani, founder and executive vice chairman of InfoEdge. Sanjeev now owns a portfolio of companies, including India's largest job portal, Nokri.com, matrimony website, Jeevansati, real estate classifieds platform, 99 Acres, and educational website, Shiksha.com. What started as a small idea back in 1997, when he observed colleagues trawling through the office copy of Business India for job ads, Sanjeev has an uncanny ability to observe customer needs and turn unsolved problems into powerful business ideas. He has an in-depth understanding of the Indian consumer and their ever-growing thirst for doing things online, be it ordering a pizza or finding your house or even your spouse. Join me as we have a conversation with one of India's most successful entrepreneurs and learn what it takes to build an internet business in Asia's fastest growing digital economy. I'm Ben Haywood, and you're listening to Inside India. Welcome, Sanjeev. Thank you so much for coming on the show. It's great to be talking with you today. I just wanted to start off at the very beginning of your career. You had a fascinating kind of introduction to entrepreneurship. Can you tell us a little bit about how you got into becoming an entrepreneur in your early days of your career, please? First of all, Ben, thank you for inviting me on the podcast. It's an honor and a privilege. I'm 57 years old now, and I think I first stumbled upon the thought of being an entrepreneur when I was maybe 12 years old, so maybe around 1975 or 76. Now, when you're a boy, a young boy, and you daydream a lot, I guess I do it even now. And so when I was 10 years old, I wanted to be Rajesh Khanna because I just, Rajesh Khanna is a big movie star in India back then. Uh, he's passed away now. And one of my first Hindi movies that I saw was uh, the Rajesh Khanna movie, Hathi Mere Sathi. My Friend the Elephant. It was uh, one of my first experiences on the, to watch a film on the big screen, alone without my parents, with my friends. See, back then, movies were not considered uh, good things. Television was not considered a good thing among respectable middle-class Indian families because they distracted the young people away from the main job of studying. So I got to go to the movies maybe once in three months. And I saw that movie and I came away completely enamored. And I said, Rajesh Khanna is my hero. And so when I was 10 years old, I wanted to be Rajesh Khanna. When I was 11 years old, I wanted to be Sunil Gavaskar because he had been scoring all these runs for the Indian cricket team. And he was my next hero. Mostly against England. Well, against West Indies as well, which was a tough ask in those days with that pace bowling attack. Uh, Yes, against England too. And when I was 12 years old, somehow it came in my head that, look, at some point in time in my life, maybe I should start my own company, be an entrepreneur. Basically, what appealed to me was to be my own boss, to be independent uh, and not work for somebody else. Now, there are young people who will do 
what their parents do. In my case, what my father did. And he was a doctor in the government. And there are some other young people who will never do what their parents do. So I was in the second category. By the time I was 12 or 13 years old, I had decided I will A, not join the government and B, I'll not be a doctor. More by elimination than by a positive choice, I somehow figured that maybe I should be an entrepreneur sometime in life. And this was a very early dream, fuzzy goal, but it was something which kept coming back to me. And by the time I was in class 11 or 12, uh, finishing school, I had more or less made up my mind that I will be an entrepreneur sometime. What, when, how, I do not know, but it's a worthwhile goal to pursue. And as my career went along, as I started, went through college, went through some working in a larger company, my MBA, my business school experience, the goal got clearer and clearer that this is what I have to do. And so eventually, when I was 26 or 27, I quit my job. At that time, I was working for a company which is now called GlaxoSmithKline. At that time, it was called Limited in India. It was a, a subsidiary of the UK firm Beecham's, and I was working in marketing. I was handling the brand Holix, which is quite popular in India. The origins are from England. So I'm sure you might be aware of it. Absolutely, yeah. So that was the last sort of corporate job I did, and I quit and became an entrepreneur in 1990. And I think um, right in saying in the early days, your wife supported you whilst you were building out Knockery.com. And this must have been quite an unusual step back in that time in India. Actually, I think if you're a first-generation entrepreneur from an economic background where you don't have a lot of capital, and you know my father had retired from the government, he was doing some private practice as a dermatologist, but it wasn't a lot of money. So I had nothing to inherit. So basically, look, from my kind of background, if you want to be an entrepreneur, in the days, you had to have very supportive families. So basically, I experimented with my career. For seven years, I drifted while my wife uh, worked in a large corporation and uh, her salary ran the house. And I would experiment with my career and I could occasionally take a salary and very often not. So I would imagine for the first 10 years of my career as an entrepreneur, I didn't take a salary for about six years on and off, maybe the first three years. And then the last three years before we raised venture capital, after we launched Nokri. So for the first seven years from 1990 to 97, I drifted and did a whole bunch of small things. Salary surveys, databases, uh, reports, some small-time advisory and consulting practice. I was a journalist for a while, uh, part-time. I was a teacher, a visiting faculty at management schools, a visiting faculty at uh, you know MBA, entrance exam, coaching classes, maybe 20 or 30 different things, whatever came my way to survive. And then in 97, we launched Nokri as uh, seemingly one more small thing. That time, there were only 14,000 internet accounts in India. It looked like a nifty small idea. We had no big plans, no big dreams. We just felt that this can be a nifty small business. And I have at that time, there was no venture capital. There was no dot-com valuation. There was nothing in India. It was just one more small idea which we were pursuing. And we launched it and we realized maybe a year and a half that, look, uh, this is something that could be a big idea because it just kept getting traction. We were in the right place, right time, worked hard, worked smart, got lucky. God was kind. And it uh, kept getting traction. And that's when we figured, hey, we may have stumbled upon something big. So stop doing all the small stuff and just focus only on this. And in 1998, one year after we launched Nokri, we said we are an internet company now. And we will only do internet businesses. That's how we transformed. It was still running out of my father's house, a company. There were some nine or ten of us packed into a residential apartment and we were getting by. And three years after we launched Nokri, we managed to raise um, some venture capital. And that was the second inflection point. We raised venture capital. We got lucky. We got lucky in the sense we got a dot-com valuation. There was a bubble going on at that time. And we got even luckier that we got our venture capital in the last two weeks before the bubble burst. 
we got the money at a high valuation and we didn't have time to spend it foolishly which we almost certainly would have done uh, had the bubble not burst so we just put the money in the bank in fixed deposit and said okay we've got money we don't deserve at a valuation at which we certainly don't deserve this is the only money that you'll ever get in your life so spend it judiciously spend it slowly you know don't spend it on advertising don't spend it on any of the other things that dot coms do build the company out slowly and we got to scale the company and make it to profit just on this money and it was by today's standards very small money it was 1.7 million dollars and we eventually used it for the next 2 or 3 years to grow the company and we eventually spent only 1.2 million and the company had grown and turned around and broken even at the end of maybe 2 and a half years of raising this money so we were frugal we we remain uh, frugal it's a mindset it's a dna and uh, we like to do it with customer money more than investor money it's a fascinating story and it's infowedge now you were talking about the early days there but it's now a, a monster of a business with a, a portfolio of these you know so called internet or app based kind of portals really centered around a typical indian life cycle you've got an education portal and then a job portal a house search portal matrimony and insurance portal and then for good measure you're also a large owner of zomato food delivery portal was it a deliberate thought of yours as you kind of put all these pieces of the puzzle together to anchor it around a life cycle of an indian family or was it sort of happened by accident let me tell you where the ideas of various businesses came from and that will give you a sense the idea of nokri came to me when in 1990 i was in my last job and uh, at hmm i was uh, working on holix and the company had several other brands and the marketing team would sit in an open hall there was maybe seven or eight of us and it was an open hall so i could observe my colleagues now when the office copy of business india would come in every fortnight into the office it would go around from desk to desk where people would leaf through it glance at it and i realized and i observed one thing that everybody is reading it from the back because at the back of that magazine were 35 to 40 pages of appointment ads and without fail people read the appointment ads first and not the articles and i was struck by this and i said this is really odd people are reading the appointment ads before the articles and these are people who are happy in their jobs they are not looking and that's when it struck me that jobs are a high interest category of information that is consumer insight number 1 consumer insight number 2 was that every week two or three headhunters would call up and speak to one of the other of my colleagues and i could hear the conversation at least one side of it because it was an open hall and i realized that look every time as a different headhunter with a different job in a different company and these jobs are not to be found in the appointment columns of newspapers or magazines which told me that there are, what appears in print is a small fraction of all the jobs that are live out there and there are maybe hundreds maybe thousands of headhunters servicing tens of thousands of companies with maybe hundreds of thousands of jobs and uh, jobs are a high interest category of information so if somebody would build a database of jobs and keep it live and current it would be a powerful product it would be a useful product now this is 1990 i didn't know what to do with this insight because there was no internet i had never heard of it there was no lan even in india forget about internet and you know computers were shared resources in offices nobody had a personal computer and there were no laptops and there were no mobile phones So it became one of those file and forget insights, and I quit my job and became an entrepreneur and did other stuff. But when I saw the internet for the first time, this insight came back to me, and I said to myself, "Let's just take jobs from newspapers around the country and from magazines, and rehash them in our own words and put them up on our site." And 
That's what we did. And the moment we did that, traffic began to come because jobs were a magnet for traffic. So it really, it was a customer insight that this will be a useful product that led me to the idea of Nokri. Now, when I met Deepinder Goel, the founder of Zamato for the first time, I asked him, where did this idea come from? And he told me a very interesting story, which is quite similar to my story. He was working in Bain Consulting and in Gurgaon, near Delhi. Now, Bain Consulting was an office where there were maybe between 50 and 60 people working there, mostly young, mostly male. Consulting had long hours. So you often ended up having two meals in the office, lunch and dinner. Often at a cafeteria, but they would not serve food. You could, however, bring your own food and have it. Most of his colleagues were young and single and male, and they would not bring their own food. So they would order in into the office. To make life easy for the employees, the admin team had compiled two file folders of delivery menu cards of maybe 80 restaurants that delivered to that location. And Deepinda told me, look, at one o'clock in the afternoon at lunchtime, there's a long line to access these two file folders in the cafeteria. You get hold of a file folder over 30 seconds. You have to quickly decide, call the restaurant and give the file folder back. And then the food gets delivered maybe 45 minutes later, and then you come back and have it. And he said, it is a pain. So what he did was he came in on weekend and scanned all the menu cards and uploaded them on his personal uh, page on the office internet. And two days later, the IT infra guy came to him and said, hey, what have you done? Why is 98% of office internal traffic going to your page? And he said, that's when the penny dropped. And I realized that aggregation of menu cards has got value. Just as I had realized maybe 15 or 17 years ago that aggregation of jobs has got value. So you began to go out on weekends, maybe Sundays, or just to restaurants around Delhi, NCR, Gurgaon, Noida, where just two restaurants are picking up the delivery menu cards. When he had 800, he scanned them and uploaded each restaurant's information on the net and called it Foodie Bay. The name was changed later to Zomato. And uh, traffic began to come almost immediately. And then he did this in Bombay and Bangalore on the same premise, aggregation of menu cards and traffic began to come. So that's how Zomato got traffic when it had no money, no advertising. It was simple. It was a powerful traffic magnet, aggregation of menu cards. So the way we do it, Ben, is uh, in both these cases, it was essentially a customer insight. The market, the customer, observation of the customer was telling you something. If you do this, traffic will come. If you do this, it'll create value. And obviously, nobody has done it earlier. So first mover, customer insight, first mover, I think it's hugely important. It's a fascinating of the business with Zomato because now what started as a, an aggregator of menu cards now is the largest food delivery website in the country. It must have been an interesting journey watching that business grow. Absolutely. And I think Deepinder and his team have done a tremendous job on execution, on strategy. Deepinder must be, must be the best tech product guy or the best product guy in India. It's certainly the best I have met. Super interesting. And I think one of the themes that we keep revisiting in this podcast series is the notion of the Indian consumer. And you've got a kind of front row seat in your uh, capacity with all these different businesses you're involved in of this Indian consumer. 
How have you seen the change? What changes have you observed over the last, say, 20 years? Have they become more tech savvy? I mean, obviously, with the rise of the internet and low cost of data, I assume this to be the case. But what other changes are you noticing when it comes to the Indian consumer? First of all, there's higher purchasing power. The economy has grown. Second, net penetration has gone up tremendously. Third, mobile. Fourth, audio and video as data has got cheaper. These are some profound changes that are driving a lot of the consumer behavior and actually making many more opportunities possible and profitable. And then, of course, there's regulation that has facilitated all this. I think EKYC is facilitating a whole lot of fintech. I think the UPI led India's fintech sector to perhaps the most innovative and advanced in the world. I think a combination of these four or five things has led to what is happening in India today. And especially the penetration of mobile, low-cost mobile, low-cost data, I think uh, has been a huge thing. So now you see services possible, which were not possible earlier. Whether it is Policy Bazaar, which is selling insurance online. Now, without the EKYC rules, it would not be able to do that. Without enough penetration of mobile, it would not be able to do that. Uh, without the government's uh, insurance sector policies, which has caused more than 40 insurance companies to set up shop in India, it would not be able to do that. For example, so Zomato launched delivery. There are tens of thousands of restaurants all over India on Zomato's delivery platform. I live in Delhi NCR. If I feel hungry at 2 a.m. and I go on to Zomato, now typically a restaurant will shut by 10 p.m. or 11 p.m., at 2 a.m., 3 a.m., 4 a.m., there are cloud kitchens that are open that are delivering at that time. And these are cloud kitchens very often that open only for overnight delivery, which basically means they open at 10 p.m. and they shut at 8 a.m. So these are businesses created around the Zomato ecosystem. These are brands you never heard of. These are brands which only cater to the nighttime population whether it's a people who work in call centers and then go home, whether it's somebody who's watching a late night TV show, whether it's or a movie or perhaps a cricket match uh, going on somewhere in uh, Australia. You can order a dinner at 3 a.m. if you want. And people do it. So the ecosystem around Zomato is, I think, really thriving and it's prospering, it's doing very well. And all of this is possible. These businesses would not have existed had the internet, mobile app, mobile telephony, telecom, and Zomato not been there. Everything globally and, and India even more so is going online. And like I said, you're so well positioned with your portfolio of companies to capture this move to digital. It's fascinating. And I wanted to dig a little bit more into another one of the portfolio companies of InfoEdge, and that's Jivansati, which is a matrimony app. Now, to many of us here in the Western world, Europe, the US, we have things like Tinder, where you can match potential dates online. But Jivansati actually is a, a matrimony app where a family might set up an account and try and match their son or daughter electronically or digitally. How did this idea come about? Can you tell us a bit more about this business and the kind of insights that you see from Jivansati? So we had launched Nokri in April 1997. By mid-98, I had said, okay, so Nokri is happening, it's done. The tech guy is idle. We didn't have too much of a product plan then. We said, this is it. This is ultimate. This is cutting edge. No need to improve it further, which is so totally wrong. But I said, tech guys are idle. So I went to him and I said, uh, Anil, his name is Anil Lal. And uh, I said to Anil, I said, if you're free, we've done one newspaper classified category, which is jobs. Now, a big newspaper classified category is matrimony. For 
our listeners who are not from India, every Sunday, in almost every major newspaper in India, there are several pages of matrimonial classified ads where parents and families are advertising to get their sons and daughters, prospective grooms and wives to get them married to. And it's a huge business. And it's what in the West you'll call personals. In India, it's called matrimonials, except it's for marriage. It's not for dating. It's not casual. It's very serious. And I said, why don't we shift this online? And he did it. And we produced a site and we just let it float free of cost. And we didn't do anything else. We focused on Nokri and this thing ran for two years. Free float, not charging any money, totally free. And then when we raised venture capital, we uh, were told by the investor, ICICI Ventures, they said, focus on Nokri, shut the site. And when somebody gives you money and you sign a shareholder agreement, you listen. As simple as that. And they also said, change your auditors. We don't want this small uh, CA firm. We want one of the big five. Then there were five. So we went to auditors and we told them, guys, we're very sorry. You know, we had a relationship with them for 10 years. We're very sorry. We've got this money and this investor. And they said they want a big five. So we're going to have to part ways. And these guys said, hey, no problem. We want to shut our CA practice and start a .com anyway. And that's when he said, hey, why don't you take Jeevan Sathi? So we'll retain some shareholding. You take some shareholding and then you run it. And when we raise money, we'll see what to do. And so they took Jeevan Sathi from us and they worked hard and they slogged it for three, four, three or four years. They were unable to raise money because a meltdown happened. But they were kind of breaking even at a low scale. And when we turned around and began to make a profit, we went to them and said, listen, guys, this is going nowhere. Why don't we buy it from you? So we agreed on a price and we checked and we brought it back into the company. And since this is in 2004 or five, and since then we've been working at it. So Jeevan Sathi was not really customer-led as much as, uh, although the market was giving a signal that, look, there are ads in newspapers. Perhaps if you move them online, it might work. And that's how we went there. In 99 Acres, one of our directors and advisors, he lives in the US and he came to India to sell an old family property. And he says, I had a harrowing time. It's a completely opaque market, all sorts of malpractices. You don't know what's going on. And it takes you months to do a transaction and you still don't know if you're the right price. This sort of market situation is ripe for an internet intervention. So why don't we look at launching a real estate site? And that's how we got into it. So we've always been customer-led. We've always been looking at customer insights, market insights, what's going to work, what are people demand, what are the unsolved problems? And if you can do that, we believe you will taste success. And it so happens, it's a coincidence that these are around major life situations like a job, marriage, and house. We were just looking for unsolved problems. It's unbelievably interesting. And I think what's even more impressive is it's one of the very few internet businesses, I would wager globally, that remains as profitable as it is. And the cash flows are there, the underlying cash flows are there quarter after quarter, which I think is what makes it all the more impressive. I think it's not DNA to be A, frugal and B, profitable. And uh, always depend on operating cash flows as opposed to investor money. So the times have changed. I think there's a lot more capital available now. But we always tell young companies we invest in that raise money if you want, but understand if the market turns, this could be your last round. And if this is your last round, if you don't get more capital, what will you do? And always have that plan B, which means ensure you're getting customers, paying customers, because ultimately you don't want to be at the risk of uh, not being able to raise for the capital. And therefore, Customer money is more dependable than investor money. 
That's an age-old lesson for anyone out there wanting to get involved in internet plays and web-based businesses. We're running out of time, but one of the questions that I ask um, every guest that comes on the series is, what would you like our listeners to think differently about India going forward? With India, you have to be patient. Uh, you have to think really long term. So I'll give an example. If you look at the typical Indian internet company that's been invested in by venture capitalists, so st- if you leave out Flipkart, strategic sales have not happened in India at any kind of valuation that will give venture capital investors the kind of returns that they hope for, which means that your big money will come from a good IPO. Now, very few Indian internet companies have gone public. Those that have, have delivered very good returns to the investors, by and large. But the time taken for an internet company from inception to IPO or from Series A to IPO is long. So India Mart was founded in 1996. It went public, I think, a couple of years ago. That's about 18 years. We took nine years from inception to IPO, maybe six years from Series A to IPO. We were fast and we were lucky. Make my trip took 10 years. I think Just Dial took another 17 or 18 years. I don't know how long. I think matrimony took 18 or 19 years from founding to IPO. So in India, therefore, things take time. And therefore, be patient. The underlying trend is good. The economy will grow eventually. And business will grow and prosper. But you have to think long term. So there's one thing about India is think long term. I think that's a theme that keeps coming out with every guest that we get on is the underlying fundamentals are absolutely there, but it's a very much a long-term story. I think just before we go and perhaps a final thought, looking to the future, you have your portfolio of companies under InfoEdge now. What are some of the new ideas that come to you and are you constantly looking to add to the portfolio? Are you happy with what you have at the moment? We are very happy with what we have. We sometimes regret what we, the ones we missed. But not for long, because as long as the ones you have are good, it, you'll miss some good ones. It's okay. But so Zomato and Policy are well-known, and they're very valuable. But we've got some younger companies that are showing promise. Of course, they're much smaller and much earlier stage than Zomato. And we've invested in them after 2015. We went into Policy in 2008. That's been 13 years. Uh, Zomato in 2010 has been 11 years. These are younger companies like Shipsy, like Shopkirana, like Gramophone a bunch of others, which are showing very good promise. And we are quite excited about them. I think we have launched uh, a venture fund, but uh, we are hopeful that uh, some of these will actually end up creating a lot of value. They're headed that way. Brilliant. And you spend a lot of time mentoring, I know, younger entrepreneurs in India. India has a culture of producing some of the great entrepreneurs we see in big businesses around the world now. You would say that the future is bright? For Indian entrepreneurship, absolutely. I have not seen an environment like this um, in the last 30 years of being an entrepreneur, where the number of very high-quality people trying to do stuff and investors willing to back them. The numbers are really, very high. The the deal flow we're getting right now, I've not seen it before. So obviously, some of them will become very big and very valuable companies. And I think the, the future is therefore bright for Indian startups and the startup ecosystem. Fantastic very positive place to leave it and uh, Sanjeev thank you so much for coming on and talking to us today and we look forward to speaking to you again soon thank you Ben thank you for having me bye bye you have been listening to Inside India with me Ben Haywood if you like what you have heard make sure to subscribe to our show on Apple Podcasts Spotify or indeed wherever you might listen 
Don't forget to leave a review and a rating and tell us about your favorite episode. We will be back with a brand new episode in two weeks time. Until then, stay safe.